Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview is with Kevin Funk. He's a Canadian filmmaker, and we are talking today about his new film, Hello, Destroyer, that's going to be at the Lightbox on March the 10th. You're going to have to get out and see this film. I'm not sure how, it's long, how long it's going to be there for, but Canadian Screen Award nominations for Best Motion Picture, Achievement in Direction, Original Screenplay, Performance by an Actor uh, in a Leading Role, and, and it's a great film. It's a, it's a, it's a compelling film. It's, it's nuanced and subtle and layered, and, and it's interesting, and it's about hockey, and it's about a, you know, it's about a Canadian institution, and I'll put institution in italics. I hope that's enough for you. Uh, Kevin and I talk about a little bit about everything. We talk about curious empathy and about ambiguity within intention. And we talk about, you know, systemic violence and relationships and loneliness and, 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 and a whole lot of uh, really meaningful things that, that uh, uh, just uh, kind of, kind of um, re- really compelling. And, and, and sadly, the conversation ended all too quickly. And I hope you feel the same way. And I'm looking forward to part two with Kevin. So uh, stay tuned. Kevin Funk coming right up. DavidPeckLive.com for more information about my own podcasting, my writing, and my public speaking. You can also... Um, help me uh, and support uh, what I do here at Face to Face uh, by donating through Patreon.com. And don't forget Rabble.ca for more information about other podcasting as well. Kevin Funk is coming right up as we talk about Hello Destroyer, his new film opening at March 10th, uh, um, 2017 at TIFF, The Bell Lightbox, coming up soon. And, uh, well, coming soon to a theater near you. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest uh, today who I actually missed at the Toronto Film Festival for a variety of reasons. I'm pretty sure he was just ignoring me. But uh, <laughs> we have a, a Canadian filmmaker here this morning with us to talk about his film, Hello, Destroyer. Uh, Kevin Funk is with us here uh, on an early Tuesday morning in Toronto. Kevin, thanks uh, thanks for your time today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me to chat about the film. So are you still buzzing from TIFF or have you come down from that at least? 
Oh, I mean, at this point, it just feels like a, a couple of years ago. I, <laughs> I bet it does. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was wonderful. It was a strange experience, to be honest. Um, being being there with a film, uh, like a first film, um, a first feature film, yes. is, is very different. Like, I did it to four times with short films previous to this. Um, and short filmmaking at a festival is pretty great because um, – you just need to like make sure you show up sort of, you know, sober and coherent <laughs> to your to your Q and A's, and that's about like the only uh, I think responsibility. Uh, so you get to see a lot more films. You get to just sort of like indulge in everything that a festival is. Um, the experience with uh, the the film is uh, w- with a feature. There's just so many more obligations in terms of like just the business side of things, right. which is good. And, right. and sure. you know, it's nice that you're in demand. And, and I, I do, I still love the festival world just because uh, just it still is the only venue where you get to do things like Q&As and you get to actually talk about the film. And, which so is, that sort of stuff I love. Which has got to be pretty pretty exciting for a filmmaker like you. I mean, clearly, uh, you don't have to go too deep into your bio on, on, on the, the website to get a sense for your your commitment and passion to to not only telling a, a great narrative story that that you're drawn to, but to also uh, peeling back a few layers. Yeah, I mean, I think that that I, I'm, I've always been super interested in storytelling that, um, that's really rooted in strong sort of conceptual and thematic ideas, mm-hmm. um, and and that being something that really drives narrative for me. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm someone just even in terms of the way I approach story, it's more operating from a thematic interest or some sort of like cultural critique, um, or something like that. I mean, I've talked about this before, but when I sit down to write a script, generally, um, the character, like with this film, you know, it's a very intense sort of intimate character study. But when I start writing a film, um, Generally, everything I've written works this way. I don't know if I will forever, but right. for now, it's, it's how I operate. Um, so the character is very much um, sort of a means to an end in terms of like the mm. tool that helps motivate mm-hmm. or move forward the ideas that I'm really interested in. And I don't actually, I'm not someone who starts with like, oh, I think this is an interesting character. I want to explore what their lives are. Right. That gets filled in afterwards. And and I don't, you know, I don't want to like discount that element of it, I think, um, a sense of like authenticity and you know capital T truth in in their character is is really important and but that's something that I fill in afterwards. I think you hmm. know in some ways characters start as a device to uh, as a device of exploration in terms of moving through these these larger themes that I'm I'm much more interested in generally. So just before we go deep into to yeah. some of the films, so are the two. Uh, criteria for being a great Canadian filmmaker, sobriety and coherence? Are those the two things? Uh, I think that they're probably a baseline. Um, <laughs> That's right. They should, they should be a, a baseline. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or at least, at least if you're going to, if you're going to try to answer questions about the film you've just made, you've got to at least be sober and coherent. I think that's going to be the main takeaway from today's interview. So yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I think <laughs> that's more, more difficult than you'd think in, in the yes. festival world. Yeah. Vices you know, are around all the time. No, so. no, no doubt. Listen, this film is about everything else other than hockey. It seems to me. I mean, I think that is very true. I mean, I, so I made a quick list this morning, just as I sort of prep for our abandonment, relationships, violence, responsibility, choice, friendship, loneliness, authenticity, trauma, loss, grief, uh, and, and just men- mental health 
yeah. uh, the mental health umbrella is huge. Yeah. And yet you've told it in a, I was going to say a uniquely Canadian way. I'm not sure it's all that unique in a, in a Canadian sense. I think as a filmmaker it is. But but um, I, I just, as I watched it, I just wondered, does, does hockey really make us that Canadian, you know? Um, but anyway, I just, I'm fascinated. And, and Kevin, congratulations on a beautiful and compelling and, 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 and tragic film that, that, that needs to be seen. But, well, but, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just drew me in from the get-go. Uh, I played hockey as a kid. I saw a little bit of what's going on in the film, I suppose, from a narrative perspective. But I'll tell you what, I've, I've definitely been touched by, you know, as you said earlier, you know, that, 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 that overarching sense of, 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 of concept, theme, and ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, even the, the hockey element is, I mean, you're spot on in terms of your, the way you're reading it and that sort of thing. For me, the hockey element is, is fairly superficial and right. it's certainly a red herring. To a large degree, um, and uh, it's def- there's also a sort of cheekiness to it. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, I was going to use the F word, but I won't. Um, but there is this sort of like F U to the right. um, to the sort of idea of the stereotypical English Canadian film, and and it's something I feel very strongly about. I've, I've sort of spoken on this before um, of just this sort of the way we've we've sort of pigeonholed English Canadian cinema into this specific idea of what we think it is, uh, hmm. uh, which is something that I think has hurt English Canadian cinema for a long time. And, and it's usually something that's dominated by either really boring, outdated stereotypes or just an absolute lack of identity uh, hmm. in terms of just like stripping away any elements that are Canadian so that we can sort of masquerade as being American. Hmm. Uh, and I think that that is super problematic um, for a number of reasons, uh, most notably in terms of just um, film being an important element of culture to help us understand and reflect our own identity and think about it. So there's this part that is a bit tongue-in-cheek about setting it in the hockey world um, I mean, the thing is, the, the film depends on having a large, powerful cultural institution at its core. Sure, um, sure. And so hockey serves that purpose very well. Um, and, and there is, you know, there is a reality that, like, you know, I grew up, I grew up, you know, not playing hockey at a high level, but, you know, I've watched so much hockey. I've played world hockey pretty much every day. Right, yeah. Um, so there is something that's very ingrained in the, I played lots of other sports, um, a lot longer than I ever did hockey, but hockey still has this strange sort of like, you know, just presence in like almost mm-hmm. every element of, mm-hmm. of, of our lives in this country, even if you're not interested at all. So, I mean, if I was making this film in the U.S., that institution would probably be the military that I would set this in. Right, um, right. And, and to be honest, the, the film and the structure and a lot of the issues probably have more to do with military culture than it does even hockey culture. But that being said, too, like I, I, it was still very important to me to make to have the hockey elements be very real and very true. And a lot of them are taken from my own um, experience with sports teams. I, I played more like rugby and basketball right. and that sort of thing. Um, but I did want it to be true. And one thing that I have found fascinating in that, like your sort of reading, um, which is like very much my intention, uh, is generally what what you know, I think sort of the festival type, more like art house cinema viewer that takes from this film or finds in this film. But one of the things that was like, I have to say a fair bit 
surprising even for me was seeing some of the reactions that, that screens have had at TIFF or other places where people did come to this film with no real knowledge of it other than the hockey element right. and the hockey parents and those type of things, and them having a very moving experience. Yes. And sometimes yes. it was like uncomfortable or disquieting a bit, um, but not always. Like um, I think that one of the fears our team had coming into this was they were they were worried that like this was going to be a film that the hockey community hated and blah blah right. blah. And I didn't ever really have that fear. I obviously knew there might be some negative pushback or press or whatever, but I think that would only come from people who didn't take a deep look at the film because I don't think the film really, even in those hockey elements, is sort of commenting negatively on on hockey or say it doesn't even really pass judgment on whether violence or or fighting in hockey is good or bad. I, I wouldn't be very interested in spending two years of my life making a movie just on whether fighting is good or bad in hockey. It's more about institutional violence and systemic issues of violence and and the people who were sacrificed um, up from that. And and that obviously is something that if your whole worldview is hockey and you're seeing this film that takes place in hockey, I think that you can really anchor into your own experience. Obviously, if you don't, and that isn't, I think that that's when you sort of step well, out of. And, Ke- and Kevin, isn't the question yeah. too? Where where does okay? So it's not it's not necessarily like you say. It's not necessarily about the fighting in hockey or mm-hmm. or the militaristic edge. You know what what does he say at one point? The coach. This is how warriors do it, right? Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the film, in 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 the in the uh, what do you call it? The locker room. Um, yeah. Um, the question, too, to me, it seems to is is where where does this come from? I mean, isn't that the bigger question? The how how do we pass this on within our families, within our cultures, within our communities, and 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 to to others? What how does it happen on the playground? You know, bullying and so yeah. on. When you're talking about systemic violence, there's a whole lot of other issues at play. Totally, yeah, yeah. I and and I think that again, spot on in terms of like the interest that, that I have here. I mean, I'm. I'm someone who like firmly believes that, you know, 99.9% of violence um, is not something that is, or, or is something that is rooted in systemic and, and cultural conditions. Um, you know, you have, again, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but like, you know, you do have those situations where you have some psychopath who walks into a school and shoots up a bunch right. of like kids. Um, I think, yes, that, that is outside of the conversation we're having. That's mental illness and deep, deep mental illness that I don't really know how much preventative things you can do. Those are like those strange apparitions that are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really difficult to deal with. But I think most violence um, across the board uh, comes from a place that, like I said, has larger conditions attached to it. And, and again, one thing that I'm really interested in is the sense of cultural culpability that um, right. It's so easy for us to look at victim and, you know, and criminal uh, in situations and really try to be as reductive as possible in terms of responsibility, because I think we love reductive justice because mm, it's something nice. that is very easy for us to comprehend and understand. And then we feel you get the warm, fuzzy feeling of justice, right? Like a guilty verdict is. There, there's, it feels like there's some sort of like empirical objective truth to that. Right. Um, and, right. and let's say, sure, maybe there is. Maybe this person did murder that person. But um, I, and, and that's not to, again, in, in all of this, I don't think you can discount individual moral responsibility and, and accountability. But I just think that if you are actually truly interested in solving problems around violence, 
most problems generally, you have to you have to have that look into that gray zone that is really uncomfortable because there aren't easy answers when we're talking about these broader broader conditions because that's what makes it complicated and murky, and that's also what allows people to sort of obfuscate from their own responsibility because you can sort of just pivot and and sort of reposition um, a lot of these circumstances to be things that you know you're sort of imagining you're not really implicated in. And I think that that is really problematic. I think I, I'm a huge believer in context and I wish that we would like, hmm. I think just, I, I have a strong political interest as well. And, and I, it, it's one of those things I feel like if we could somehow really, really, and I was educated in this way strongly by a lot of great educators and also most predominantly by my parents. But I really think if there was a stronger emphasis on context and a curiosity around context, hmm. It would be so much easier to solve so many problems that we run into on a well, and daily are, basis in the world. And, wow, so many questions, but <laughs> and this just so this so connects to everything that I do. And curiosity around context isn't that really about listening to others? Isn't that really about including and saying what what really is? I need to hear your story before I can say uh, you know A or B. Totally, and that's I think that that's something that I started to think so much more about. Um, um, I mean, there's there's two notes on that. Um, one more personal one, and one more related to the film. And I'll go along with the film first, which is in terms of that idea of listening, like listening and and the sense of communication or lack thereof mm. is actually the true villain in the film. Like that is well, I want to go. I want to go to the whole notion of silence as the violence. I mean, you use yeah. silence oh, sure. in yeah. so many ways in the film. You use it beautifully. You use it in a meditative way. It's relational. It's anti-relational. I mean, it's just the blocking, the cinematography, even for the love. It's brilliant. So yeah, we got to get to silence as violence, but go on context a little more. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll 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 hold that thought on the film for a second then and go to my own personal journey, I guess, a little bit more. Hmm. Um, of, of being, there's, there's something I've always thought about in terms of the work that I wanted to make. I mean, my parents were activists from a young age. They, like, I grew up in, in my parents' theater company, which did environmental activism through theater. So I was in that environment a lot. Um, and, you know, and I, I'm someone who I think has always had a certain degree of just curious empathy about me in terms hmm. of looking at the world around me. Um, hmm. and it's like where I find, the world most emotionally resonant and, and curious um and but you know as you start to as i start to practice my art or I start to sort of like hone my my practice and and you know what i wanted to do as a filmmaker i was always coming back to films that are you know charged with some sort of like social critique um and this type of thing but there's a sense, and this is definitely like an art school thing, but I think that, again, in terms of context, it's really important and really, uh, really valuable to look at in question. Like, there is this sense that I'm speaking from a platform as like a white dude, you know, a white dude that's a part of like a, a colonial experience in this country that has very much shaped the position that I have and the privilege that I have. And I know like people can get so, um, this this conversation can be so divisive as soon as you say that. Yeah, like yes. I didn't grow up a rich white dude, you know. Right. But I still know, like not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I still know that, like, just the, just what, who I am has given me a certain amount of privilege. And I think that 
that doesn't mean that you need to back off of being engaged in issues that don't aren't necessarily identifying issues for you because I you know, being a white man in Canada, you probably bear some responsibility for any of those issues sure. uh, in a yep. historical yep. context. Yep. But I do think that there is something about like how you engage in a sense of author. So like, for example, in this film, I'm sure like I'll step out further and further, but like to me, when we're talking about this sense of violence um, and we're talking about something that's super, super interested in Canadian identity and is, is, is about that very specifically to have that film not in some way comment upon the colonial experience and the history of this country would be really problematic to me. Um, but I also knew that that wasn't the whole story of the film. So that's where, like, um, to me, it was something that I really took a lot of time to think about and try and, like, question, like, what was the most effective way to talk about this. But I also thought it was super essential. And so that's why there's things like... Um, you know, the branding of like the Warriors team, you know, mm, which is, mm. um, which has like the tomahawk on it and the headdress that's used in the change room and these sort of elements. Um, that like those sort of peripheral elements are really important as like this nod to talking about a history in this country and a violence in history in this country, well, which was meant to be, which was like very deliberately chosen to be in the film something that was like present but invisible at the same time. I, I, I uh, I thought of a history of violence Cronenberg's film. I, mm. I I was taken to Sling Blade. Do you remember Sling Blade, Billy? Yeah, I haven't film. seen Sling Blade in a long time. Well, like I was just, young when I thought. The, but the, I, yeah, the, but the just the even American Beauty, the violence yeah. of American Beauty of, yeah, of yeah, the of sure. the silence of American Beauty. You look closer. You got mm. you got to go a little deeper. And I mean, th this is what I find so brilliant about the way you use silence in the film. I mean, right from in your face in the hotel room. Uh, the two, you know, friends, small lab, yeah. probably, um, talking about a pretty central, important issue that comes full circle, you know, at the end of the film, really, in, in truth. Um, this guy's, you know, life, his anxiety, he's laying it out. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, and his friend just doesn't have the resources to know how to connect, how to commiserate, how to empathize, you know, how to, how to, how to, I don't know. Uh, how to how to how to root it contextually? Is that fair, Kevin? Is that getting too intellectual about what you? No, 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 like, not like, at all. Like, I, like this, is, this is exactly on track. Yeah, I mean, I just and this is where we get we come. For me, I just I get so excited for, excited about it because I, I just the, the 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 narrative story, but the undertones. I mean, this is the kind of film that a you can enjoy and watch and 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 talk about. But I I think people are going to be writing about this. I think they're going to be writing about your filmmaking in years to come, Kevin. Seriously, I mean, this is you you, you peel peel back some pretty pretty uh, interesting, uh, I think, and 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 uh, revealing existential cracks. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Actually, I think you spent way too much time reading Heidegger at a younger age. That's that's what I think it has to do with. That's, that's... I'm not even that that well read on Heidegger. <laughs> so, uh, that, those are the happy. Actions. You spent way too much time in Paris at those cafes yeah, smoking yeah, French exactly. cigarettes, man. That's yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. No, I, I just I guess it it comes. I mean, it comes obviously from personal interest for sure, um, but it also comes from an interest in telling stories that I think is a much more interesting way in my mind to engage with a story for a viewer. Like to right. give, I really do believe in this idea of handing a degree of agency back to the viewer. Uh, and, and I really do not have patience for the argument that audiences won't get things or won't understand things. It's like, it's, you know, if you don't teach 
if, if, if you're a teacher in a classroom and you don't sort of challenge your students to engage, I, I don't mean that in some like ridiculous condescending sort of uh, arrangement that I'm the teacher and, and the audience is students. I'm just trying to use it as an example of of the idea that like if, if you don't give people something to engage with, then they're going to be lazy about it. You right. know, like right. you know, if, if you don't have a gym membership, you're probably not going to go to the gym and you know work out. Um, and so I, I think that like one, one core governing principle for me in terms of storytelling is that like, I think that curiosity and problem solving is just an innate human quality. I mean, that's why we are where we are today. Like we want to understand things. Um, and so I think that, you know, it, uh, you can also take that too far and I think be pretentious, um, right. And make things so difficult that they frustrate people and they can't understand it and that's where the frustration comes. So like I'm, I'm a firm believer in like this idea of, um, ambiguity with intention mm-hmm. where like mm-hmm. you have a lot, like you give a lot of space to the viewer to, to sort of engage with the film and the subject matter and the content, but there's always like direct intention behind it, you know, and, and I'm sure I would have filmmaker friends who, who sort of disagree with this and, and have very different ideas, but, like, I just know from my own experience, like, I want to be challenged, but I also want to know that there's a means to an end that I can access something, right. you know, and that doesn't mean that there has to be a concrete answer I arrive at that, that is, like, the filmmaker's answer. There just has to be room for answers to be arrived at. What, what I, that's part of the satisfaction, I think. What I love about what you've just said is that, and, and it's really clearly a, a core theme through the film and, and from, 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 from your worldview, I suppose, is but just this notion of responsibility. The, 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 the viewer has a responsibility as well that that they bring to the to the theater or to the the screen to the story and you're <laughs> saying I'm going to trust them with that right yeah and yeah, no it's something I really believe in so uh we cut to a scene near the beginning of the film I think the coach is freaking out in the, in the locker room disturbing frankly um <laughs> I've never been through that I mean I've been I think I've seen a few angry coaches in my day probably more angry parents in in a in a sports setting but but, that, uh, I, I will admit that scene, like, I was worried it was overly dramatic, and then I started doing, like, my research in terms of watching some, because I've, I've, I've had Coach Rance, not quite that level, but I even was even watching some, like, uh, a, like AHL and, and stuff, like, miniseries that they had, and it was, like, as soon as I started watching that, I thought what I'd written in was, like, too weak. Like, it wasn't, wow. it wasn't big, big, Read it up. So, do you re- do you um, remember? Do you remember that crazy drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket? Oh yeah, well, for that, sure. That's what I went to. Yeah, that that that, that insanity. That's you yeah, know, that's that's definitely an influence. The, the insanity, sure. the hu- the humiliation of it. Yeah, and then yeah. and then you beautifully cut to that wide shot of it. Looks like everybody's got their heads bowed and they're all praying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's beautiful the juxtaposition there. I just love it. But anyway, so he says. Everyone has a role and everyone has a responsibility. And he's talking about the game, right? Like yeah. you, you abandoned your players out there. You know, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. You got to get in the corner. But, and then basically proceeds to completely abandon his own responsibility. And, 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 and if the film now becomes about culpability, moral culpability and, and, yeah. and, and actually getting involved and, and, and instead what, what, what does everybody do right to the near the end of the film and the, and the courtroom scene is so beautiful. It's just, it's just every, one person after another washing their hands of any mm-hmm. kind of relational um, connectivity or relational responsibility. It's, it's quite, quite, quite um, disturbing. 
Yeah, no, and I mean, the, I guess, yeah, I, I think, like, that really comes from, again, like, the type of injustice that drives me the craziest is this sort of injustice. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, like, and, and this, Kevin, and is it, do you think it's widespread? Is is this happening, um, is this happening in, 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 in the back rooms of, of, of your local Walmart? Is this happening at Tim Horton's training uh, that's going on, management training? Is this happening at the, you know, and I'm not pointing my finger at anybody in particular. I guess what I'm saying is just how systemic is this in Canadian society? Or maybe even let's go global. Is this a human? Is this a problem with the human condition? Yeah, like I wouldn't say it in a way that is, uh, I wouldn't frame it in any way that seems like, conspiratorial or anything like <laughs> right, I, I think right. it's a human condition yeah. thing like i really yeah. think it's a human condition thing it's, it's a self-serving element of human condition um and there's like there's a part of the voice of all those characters who abandon him that is rooted in a re- in reason that i can understand like huh, just to think huh. it, like i couldn't write any of those scenes if i thought that i was painting characters as just villains you know like right right the um when the stepdad or stepdad, the billet dad um, comes down and tells him he has to leave uh, and is sort of like graciously saying like, oh, you don't have to leave right away. You just have to leave tomorrow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I, nice. Like, like one of my, like, I find very funny. Uh, yeah. It's like a horrible scene. Um, um, but like, I can justify Bill's, Bill's position there, you know, like from his perspective. And again, this is like a context thing of like, if I'm in his position and his perspective, I can understand what he's doing. Do I think that that is then right? No, I don't think that that's right yep, for the yep. situation. But again, this is where it loops back around to me to context. I think if like, if, if, uh, cause, cause Jared's character, Jared is, is our lead actor, uh, Tyson. Um, but Tyson is doing that. Tyson is listening and, and sort of understand. Maybe it's a bit more just acceptance, but I feel like he is sort of listening in that scene and understanding. Whereas it's completely one way. Like there is no, I mean, part of, part of Tyson's struggle is that he's has no really ability to articulate himself other than through mm. violence. And that's why there is this long pattern of violence throughout the film where even if that's violence enacted on others or objects or himself, like when he's asking for help, the only way he knows how to articulate himself is through violence. So, you know, he doesn't really have the tools, certainly in that scene to really communicate, but that's part of the problem is this one way conversation and and yeah i do i generally like i think if you look around um the world like again most most i I think a lot of our deepest problems have to do with uh an inability to accept responsibility and i would Mm -hmm. look at that even in my own personal life you Mm -hmm. know like it's a Mm -hmm. hard thing to challenge yourself to admit when you're wrong or admit i think even more than when you're wrong admit when you're a Part of the problem, you know. I right. think that I think that if we if we aren't solely the problem, um, or if there's ways to look at how other people maybe bear more responsibility, we defer to that often uh, as as our choice because again that puts us in a place where we have like this agency of judgment, which is this practical tool to create a, a space of, like a sort of perspective, uh, protective space around ourselves. And, and again, this is where I think that it becomes something that is really suffocating in terms of any meaningful consideration of um, of responsibility of of looking at how we we solve these separate problems so yeah like i mean 
Is it is it is it is it fear? Is it fear of vulnerability? Is it I just I don't I don't want to be found out. I don't want to be found out as a fraud, Kevin, so that you and I are together and I've got an opportunity to to I don't know. Uh what's how how could I even phrase this? But but I, I shirk my responsibility towards you in some way at our first meeting where we have coffee, we meet on the street, whatever. Is that because I'm just afraid of you finding me out as some kind of fraud? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is probably like a great psychological <laughs> question that like we should bring like a therapist in here. Too, for, like, the <laughs> hey, hey, I know I could benefit from that. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm sure see, I could. See, the, 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 the existentialist would say we're running from our freedom, right? The existentialist, yeah, yeah. De Beauvoir or Nietzsche or any yeah. of these guys, they would say we're running from our freedom. We don't want to really know who we actually are, so therefore we avoid it through violence and sex and 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 film and 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 family and jobs, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? We don't we yeah. don't actually want to put it on the table. And I think I think that's what's so beautifully brilliant about your film is it 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 really isn't about what we're watching. <laughs> it's it's about everything else. Totally, right? totally, yeah. yeah. And I like I think that like I think when you're talking about like the 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 more personal level of accountability, I think that there are so many different shades. And I think that that sure. is something that probably we all have our own fear. And I think that fear of responsibility is a real one. Like I think yeah. that no, is probably I think you're right. a dominating one. I think the one that I feel more con uh, concrete and sort of having an opinion on is the fear of responsibility in a cultural context. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, yeah. it's like even people like, you know, I would have less problem with like, jackass CEOs of financial institutions making millions and millions and millions of dollars off of like scamming people is that when they got busted, they also then had the gumption and guts to just serve like a real life sentence for what right. they did. You know right. what I mean? Like right. if you're going to be that, like, you know, that, that's just one example. But I mean, like the, the, we are happy to take credit. I can say that <laughs> myself, frankly, right. Right. I should probably use myself as an example. Uh, it, it's just like, it's very, we're always happy to take credit. You you know, yep. you always yep. want to take credit. Responsibility is a much harder thing to take. And I think that that is something that, you know, and and I don't even, it's not even that thing where I just think everyone's like a complete coward and, right. and we're all, we're all terrified. I, I honestly think a lot of it is just like this sort of natural movement that, that we do, you know, like this cool. natural posturing of, of, of protect, protecting ourselves. Like there is a, there's a real courage to responsibility, and I think that that well, is, is and, a tough thing to reach. And wouldn't you think, don't you think, Kevin, that, that I mean, okay, absolutely shine the light in our own lives and our own families and communities and so on, but you don't have to look too far uh, uh, to see a lack of responsibility, say, for instance, in the political world. And you go, yeah. wow, so willing to take credit, but really isn't, doesn't, I mean, we don't need to talk about this right now, but doesn't good leadership, isn't it sort of synonymous with taking For responsibility? Sure. Hey guys, that was my fault. I'm really sorry about that. I blew it. Uh, here's why, but let's, let's stand up again and, and get back at it. You know, and I think, I think Canadians, I think people would resonate with that for the most I think, part. I, personally, I like I I firmly believe that that is one of like the the main failings in politics is just like this fear of responsibility is thinking mm. that it's going to have negative impact and maybe it has a negative impact for a certain degree. But I agree with you. I think that people appreciate that. And like I mean, politics is an easy one to talk about just because it, it, it's we all know that game and and it's, it's so entrenched culturally. But like. To me, one that's way more interesting that, again, I sort of touched on earlier that I'm really interested in is like 
is cultural responsibility yeah, in this country yeah. for colonial history. Like, well, now you know, you're talking very... now you're talking about collective memory, and now you're talking sure. about shared memory. And what? Do, and this is where hockey is so interesting from a Canadian perspective, and also I would think intensely and deeply political as well. You know, yeah, so exactly. the connections are ridiculous, Kevin. I, I think you should be teaching it uh, <laughs> in a philosophy department somewhere in Stuttgart. That's what I think. Well, we'll see. We'll see a few years down the line. <laughs> I don't have the stamina for filmmaking anymore. <laughs> That's I, right. I, uh, hey, listen. Sadly, we've got to wrap it up soon because I know no you, you've you've got a couple of uh, uh, things you got to get to. I think, yes, but I um, do. I do. Um, uh, can can we just? Uh, you, there's there's a there seemed to be almost a throwaway line by the coach. And I want to know if it was a throwaway line or not. And sure. I, uh, he said something about, um, you know, he's kind of reprimanding them for, and yet also trying to, you know, build them up, the team. And he says something about, or wherever you guys get your history from now these days. Mm-hmm. And I love that line. I mean, and, and it's a nice little segue from from shared memory and, 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 and responsibility culturally and as Canadians, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, to the bigger picture with all that's going on right now with First Nations mm-hmm. and communities and so on. Um, how, how intentionally ambiguous was that? Oh, that, that was, it was fully intentional. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's pretty much nothing in the script that isn't written nice. or isn't performed pretty much verbatim to the right, except for... Um, Except for probably my favorite scene, which uh, is in the trailer with Joe and Jared. Uh, Joe Joe Buffalo is one of the actors who plays the, the character Eric, uh, and he talks about his story with Wayne Gretzky and that kind of. Right. Th- those stories are like from Joe's actual life, and nice. I wrote them. They're changed a bit. Like I wrote them, but I had Joe sort of tell them as as his stories, um, which he does a great, amazing job of. But but yeah, that other stuff like. Those type of, I'm glad it feels throwaway. If it feels throwaway, then it feels natural. Right. So I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, totally. That. And that's the whole intention. But yeah, like that, I mean, to be honest, the coaches stuff is some of the most difficult stuff to write because right. coach speak is so dramatic. Yes. Yeah, it's true. Heavy handed, yep. you know, yep. Yep. and I really am terrified of that type of dialogue right. generally. Right. Um, but, but that's the way that that is spoken. So it's like finding a balance of what feels truthful and honest. Um, but also maintaining the reality of that that type of conversation and dialogue. So yeah, it was. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you you had that as a question because that's that's a, a line I really love. And and is yeah, you're spot on. It's like very important in the context of of the film and what this film's about. Well, <clears throat> Kevin, I hope we can do part two. Honestly, I, 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 Anytime. I, I seriously, Anytime. like you, you know, there's so many things I want to go back to. I've highlighted in my notes, but capital T truth, you mentioned right out of the gate. Holy mackerel. That's, that's a whole interview in itself. Um, Kevin Funk has been with us today. The film opens, uh, at Till Bell Lightbox, uh, Tiff Bell Lightbox on March 10th. Um, and oh, hey, we didn't even talk about all the, the, the nominations, the Canadian Screen Awards, Best Motion Picture, Achievement and Direction, Original Screenplay, and performance by an actor in a leading role. C- congratulations, man! I, I know, I'm, I know, I'm bad at the, I'm bad at the press stuff. I realize, yeah, say the date was March tenth. Well, 10th. well, we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. pump it up for you as best we can. And and thanks again for a great conversation and a, and a beautiful film that that I hope everybody sees. Well, thank you so so much for the yeah for the conversation. It was wonderful. I loved it. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.